The NFL awards markets. Uh, in my opinion, it makes for a better discussion point than an actual betting strategy, but I'll get Connor and Clark's opinion there shortly. Uh, and I'm burying the lead. It's schedule release day in the NFL. Marquee matchups have been slowly leaking out all week. Today on Move the Line, we're going to touch briefly on the schedule with some overarching thoughts on the incoming strength of schedule discourse. Uh, and then we'll shift gears and break down the awards market. Let's get going. Hello and welcome to Move the Line. I'm Ryan Noonan, joined here, as always, by Connor Allen and Sharp Clark. Connor, start with you. How are we doing today? Uh, honestly, I felt better. I was uh, at Silva's birthday party last night. Went to a Cubs game. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but, you know, the Silva hangover lasts a little bit too long, more than my liking. I was worried about you today. I was actually thinking about that this morning. Uh, dad duties kept me out unfortunately i mean i would love to have been there but uh makes for a, a better thursday and, and likely friday for me too I just, I just can't hang like that anymore i'll just call a spade a spade i don't have it in me to do it anyway so uh, i worked out hopefully uh happy birthday to the goat um not gonna tell you how old he is today but uh happy birthday to to silva who uh is probably still in a coma somewhere joined as always again uh remember he will be in this space all season long with us it is sharp clock what's going on bud not much. Uh, I had the opposite experience. My wife's out of town. She's in New York right now. So I had the house to myself and just had a really nice, relaxing evening, got some good sleep and, and feeling ready to go. It's a good place to be as well. I want to remind folks we're going to have at least one new show here every week leading up to the start of the season and lots of other original content here on our 4 for 4 Bets YouTube page. So please subscribe. Uh, if you'd like to support the free content, thumbs up or comments on the video go a long way. Or jump in the chat. Let us know what your favorite uh, awards market bet is. What are you looking forward to in the schedule release? Anything like that. Uh, we appreciate that as well. Still available in podcast form or wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe there too so you don't miss a show. We really appreciate it. Uh, schedule release. Uh, we know and we've known who's playing who, where, uh, really since the season ended last year. But today is the day that we see the entire thing. Uh, we've been getting a little Easter eggs here and there. Uh, when it comes to uh, schedule analysis, though, I believe Clark has some thoughts. So I'm going to turn the floor over to you, my friend, and let me know what you're going to We're going to have some discourse in terms of uh, strength of schedule and all that stuff that's coming out in the next couple of days. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be a little Debbie Downer here. There's, there's <laughs> going to be all these pretty charts, all these tweets about, you know, here's the rest advantage that each team has, you know, based on when they're playing their games and their opponents are coming off, you know, this many road games in a row. And there's all these different things. And like, you know, they make pretty charts. They make appealing things to look at and, and talk about, but they really don't have much of an impact at all on win totals or how you project these teams. It's so much more important to understand who the teams are. And if your opinion is off market on a team, that's going to be way more powerful than any kind of, you know, strength of schedule or not, not strength of schedule analysis, pace of schedule analysis. The strength of schedule does matter. Um, and we've known that, like you said, we've known that for ages. There's nothing new coming out today on strength of schedule. Uh, the one thing that does matter to me is week 18 because there's a, you know, it's not a guarantee that any team is going to have nothing to play for in week 18, but it's certainly a higher likelihood for certain teams, those certain teams being ones that are more likely to make the playoffs. And those teams that are more likely to make the playoffs are better teams. So having a team like Kansas City in week 18 increases the likelihood that you're going to be playing backups that week and essentially takes, uh, potentially takes a hard game off your schedule. So I look for teams that have a tough week 18 looking matchup and, and kind of boost them up a little bit in the win total uh, projections just 
based on that probability. Last year, we saw it with Dallas and Tampa Bay um, and the Chargers and Minnesota and other, it happens every year. So, so that's something that I am looking forward to schedule release. So based off of last week's show, you're, you're hoping for a week 18 Chargers Chiefs matchup. That's uh, what I'm kind of feeling here. Yeah, that would, that would be, yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> All right. So strength of schedule matters. Um, but you think most of the, in terms of like rest advantage travel stuff is mostly noise. Would that be kind of. Yeah. So like pe- people will talk about like, you know, they have this much rest advantage, but just think about it this way. Like one, everybody nets out to the same amount of rest. I mean, except for Detroit and Kansas city who play on opening night, they get a couple extra days rest on that first week. But from, from that first Sunday to the end, everyone plays the same number of games. So, you know, sometimes they have bigger gaps, sometimes they have smaller gaps, and sometimes I can make, you know, a marginal difference. But, I you know, I've been looking at the numbers, and it's like it's not like teams coming off Monday night playing Sunday have, like, a noticeably worse against the spreads, you know, record in that situation. These types of things, these are very, very marginal, and to the extent they do matter, they're priced into the market. Um, so they're just not something that I'm looking to play when the schedule drops. Yeah, that's fair. Connor, any thoughts on schedule release, uh, rest advantage, strength of schedule, anything that pertains to, uh, kind of the part points that Clark's making there. Yeah. One important note, I think with strength of schedule, uh, just generally is that I only pay attention to it really at the extreme. So like you'll see people say like the 12th strength of schedule or like 20th, like that stuff just doesn't really matter that much. But then we, we have teams like, Last year, I think the Eagles are a great example. You know, we were already expecting big things for them. Win total was like eight and a half for a while, nine and a half, close to nine and a half. But still, we knew that they were favored in almost every single game. Their schedule was by far the easiest or second easiest, I believe. And so, like all those things leading into the season kind of helped build a better case for betting it over on the win total. I think vice versa can be the case as well for like the extreme on the other end of like really tough schedule. We talked about with the Patriots, I believe, as well, by far the hardest strength of schedule in the league. So, like, I think those things matter definitely matter to an extent and while obviously some teams will change some teams will be better some teams will be worse that's why at the extreme is really important because like there's you know that like most of the teams are going to be like relatively kind of what they are but then there's obviously a couple of volatile teams but if you already know that you're getting like those extremes then that's when it mostly matters here um i'm interested though in sharp so sharp you're saying that the you don't think rest advantage like matters like you it's i mean it hasn't been parsed out at all really i mean i thought that so something that was more, I don't know, I guess mainstream last year was that like net rest advantage over the course of the season. I haven't looked back on any of that at all, um, but I am interested to see. I know you cited the Monday Night Football thing. I saw your tweet about that. Uh, it definitely makes sense. I'm just curious about like, I guess other situations or like how the teams are the best and worst net rest or like individual systems matter because I think citing as a whole probably doesn't make a ton of sense, but individually it could matter. I just don't know. I haven't looked at the numbers, so. And, and it can matter marginally in a, on a game-by-game game basis. You know, I'm not saying that it can't matter. You know, maybe there's, there's different ways to parse the data. But think about it like this. Like, okay, so teams playing their third consecutive road game might perform at a lower level um, if, you know, if that's your theory. But if they're playing three consecutive road games, then they probably have a couple back-to-back home games in their schedule, maybe a triple homestand, which kind of a, maybe they play better in that stretch. Like anytime you have a schedule-based negative, it, it is offset by a positive. Like, okay, they're playing a short week after, you know, multiple Monday night games. Well, they're playing on a long week every time they play on Monday night. So those types of edges tend to just, you know, the, the very marginal nature of them and the fact that they even out over the schedule means it shouldn't impact your win total bets and division bets and futures bets. 
if even if it might impact how you view one particular matchup in the season. That's a great way to, to summarize it too. So you're you're talking as far as like going to the window today, making decisions on win totals, making decisions on divisional bets, it's less impactful. But you do think that there is something to be said, as I do, in a week-to-week situation where the net rest advantage could be in a spot where it's, you know, maybe bubble up into that little thing in terms of uh, short rest, travel. You know, we're seeing these teams like go to, to Europe and come back and play, right? The teams are having a little bit more say in terms of where they're getting their buy, especially if they're like projected to be a playoff team. They want to kind of kick the can down the road and have a later buy so they can get rested before the playoffs versus taking an early buy if they played in, you know, London in week five. We've seen it a lot more often. So uh, I kind of agree with that. Like, I, I don't think there's going to be a lot today that makes me go, oh, yeah, I, I like this team divisionally because I'm not really learning any new information today that would make me want to jump in that. But, you know, you want to catch, like, travel stuff. Um, I think that that makes sense. Rookie head coaches on Thursday Night Football, we've seen, especially early in the season, I think there's something to be said there, right, especially if it's maybe a young staff. And again, we can poke holes in that in season when we want to have those debates or whatnot. But uh, I kind of agree with your overarching points there too. So I've been working on and, you know, tweeted out some of the stuff yesterday about like kind of the unique three because how the schedule is built. You know, each of the teams do play three unique teams comparatively to their divisional foes. And I do think that there's some massive advantages or disadvantages in there. Like, you know, talked about it last week with Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is playing a first, uh, you know, a division winner schedule based off of where they were last year, even though they were an eight, nine football team and stumbled in, you know, they get a absolute gauntlet of a schedule compared to some other teams in their division. So I think that there is some stuff in the schedule based on what we already know as we sit here today. So good stuff as always uh, check that out again. You can find all the schedule stuff all over the internet, social media teams out there crush uh, today. So that should be fun as well. I don't know if you had the Chargers, the Chargers social media team. I, I did a little bit of a uh, good engagement farming with our main account for before I t- replied to a Schefter tweet. Got you know a couple hundred likes off that. Uh, so yeah, look look for more engagement farming from the the main account there. Shameless plug. Good work. Good good stuff. All right, we're going to shift gears here. Before we do so, I want to remind you it is a great time to scoop up a betting subscription to four for four. The betting sub secures access to everything on our sites, everything you're going to need to be profitable during the football season, articles, tools, rankings, projections. If you're playing DFS, high stakes, redraft, best ball, we have all of it. I think the subscriber only discord is the crown jewel of it all. All of our staff bets are posted there first. Uh, we have channels for every sport. If you dabble in any of the pick'em sites, uh, prize picks, underdog, no house advantage, vivid picks, we have channels and plays there as well. You can head over to 444.com slash plans to subscribe if you're considering checking us out during the summer here uh, we do have a way for you to pick up a subscription for cheap three months sub so you just get a taste of the action get some of our future stuff in the preseason head over to the app store download vivid picks if you're not familiar with vivid they're a parlay pick them site like some of the other ones that are out there in the space use our promo code 444 bet when you sign up they're going to match your first deposit up to 200 bucks but all you need to do is deposit five dollars and you get access to our betting subscription with the promo code 444BET with just a $5 deposit at Vivid. So take advantage, insanely good deal. Again, you'll get a lot of our future action and stuff to lead you for fantasy drafts, all that stuff in the offseason, 444.com slash plans. All right, gents, awards market. Uh, before we get into specific awards, uh, I want to talk about the overall strategy around awards and, and future betting in general. 
Um, you know, I'll start with you, Clark. Is this something that you allocate bankroll towards? Are you looking to pick off, you know, an occasional bad line instead? Again, knowing that these things aren't really paying out until February, like we're, we're sitting on this for, you know, nine, 10 months. Uh, how do you approach the award market? In in general, I, I don't really play awards markets. Like when I make a bet, I like to have at least an estimate of what the actual odds are, the true odds, you know, so I can say, well, the true odds of, of this, you know, team covering this number is 53.5% based on my model. My model isn't going to capture it 100%, but it's going to at least give me a number. Um, and so if it's minus 110, that's plus EV. With these awards markets, it's so it's so difficult to predict what's going to happen. There's so many variables. There's such a massive hold if you include all the different options at the sports book. So it's not really a place that I'm looking to capitalize and make money. Um, I did place one bet last year, and that was on Mahomes to win MVP at plus 900 before the season started. So my <laughs> that was my my entire return on on season long awards bets was very high. Um, so so every now and then I think a line is like valuable, but it, it's very, very rare. But I, it, I still think it's fun to talk about because it allows you to talk about tail outcomes, which is basically like, you know, if variance swings in one direction, then, you know, XXX, this can happen. And and so you can ca you can capture like a very high price on a, you know, low percentage outcome, but something you think is within the realm of possibilities. And then it's fun to have like a long shot ticket, you know, hit at the end of the year. Yeah, they're fun to have. Connor, how do you approach it? I know over the years we've um, feel like you dabble a little bit, but not, it's not a high priority, but, uh, where are you at with, with awards and futures? Yeah, generally we did super well on player props last year, generally in futures. Uh, I mean, I think we won like 80 or 90% of them, like something outrageous. Uh, so we'll have those again this year, as long as the markets release those, but in terms of like futures and awards market, uh, I generally don't like to bet the chalk. I think that kind of like Clark said, I think getting those like high variance options there, like taking shots at like 20 to one or higher generally is kind of in my MO. If I am going to tie up anything, like I want the payout to be worth it really, unless I feel like I have a massive edge, which in player props, I think we do in other things. I'm not quite sure that really anyone does. So uh, I have you know a couple of interesting ones. I think as I started diving into this, uh, it's some of the smaller markets, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to dive into it. I'm kind of there with you guys. I think that you can get some pretty good lines in season when we have a little bit more knowledge. And I think there are still some good prices available at times. I have a hard time divorcing myself from uh, just like the actual true probability of something like this happening and where this actually, how it relates to like golf outright betting, which is again, something I, I spend a lot of time in. And we're talking about like a 20 to one long shot where like on a typical week in, in golf outright betting, that's one of the top like plays on the board, right? And I can get return on that in four days. So it's really hard to have it sit out there for a very long time where like I have outrights on the tournament that just started today that at 101. And I think that that's actually like a viable outcome. I feel like it has a higher than a 1% chance of winning, right? So that's a little bit harder. You're just not finding hundred ones and really anything that we're going to be talking about today for the most part. So your braid is just broken now, I think. And I mean, golf is just like, you know, just broken you. So I understand it. It's a great point. Golf betting is a lot of fun, but yeah, I don't know. I still think there's some fun with, with football to be had. It's just not quite as the churn quite isn't there. Yeah. And that's part of it too, right? Is how are you know, what's your bankroll look like? How do you structure the unit size to make sure that, you know, it's something that you can get away with having sit there for nine to 10 months. It's not a financial advice show. We talk about having a lot better things that you can do with your money for nine to 10 months. Um, but again, these are fun. And to, to Clark's point, it's nice to have a, a live 
underdog that's you know a little bit long shot that you get a little bit of that clv come october when you start to feel like you have a little bit of a sweat so uh, all right let's jump into it we'll start with the offensive player of the year award uh we have justin jefferson here as the defending winner it's basically from 94 to 2018 this was just running backs and quarterbacks uh we've seen a shift four years since we've had um michael thomas cooper cup Mentioned Jefferson last year. We also had a Derrick Henry year mixed in there in 2020. This is also an award that's like, it was a little bit of like double counting award, and I don't know really what to do with it. There was a handful of years, and most recently 2018, where it was won by also the MVP. So Patrick Mahomes won the MVP. He also won Offensive Player of the Year awards. Kind of shifted to best offensive player not winning the MVP, best offensive player not at quarterback. Um, Connor, let you get started with your thoughts on uh, offensive player of the year. Yeah, I think it's generally a tough market. Uh, like looking at kind of who we think can win here, uh, you know, like obviously the top of the board, you know, I, again, I, I mentioned it earlier. I don't necessarily like to bet the chalk. Uh, I think, you know, Justin Jefferson's obviously going to be in store for a good season, but we go a little bit further down the board. One that stood out to me, I thought was interesting was AJ Brown. That's like 50 to one. Uh, and like, you know, I mean, if we if Devonta Smith gets banged up at all and the Eagles play a little bit tougher schedule this year, kind of forces them to push the pace. I think their defense uh, will probably still be really good. But, you know, I mean, their secondary could be a little bit worse. We mentioned I mentioned previously how they weren't really tested last year, but Chauncey Gardner-Johnson isn't there. Like maybe a little bit tougher strength of schedule like they played. Clark mentioned it last week of all the quarterbacks that these some of these teams have played. They played a bunch of terrible quarterbacks. So. Like, I think things that could push the pace, like could have A.J. Brown squarely in the conversation at 50 to one. Um, so that that was something that I was interested in. But otherwise, I think the board is pretty tight, honestly, for this market. Like, I, I didn't nothing else really stood out to me too much that I loved. Yeah. Clark, where are you at? Anyone jump out to you? Yeah. So I, I like um, I saw Garrett Wilson at 25 to one. And I, I think there's you know, we've seen Aaron Rodgers throughout his career basically pick a target and just pepper that target with as many passes as possible. And based on how Garrett Wilson played as a rookie, I think there's a real chance that he could be a superstar receiver in this league. And when a superstar receiver is the you know number one target getting peppered by a Hall of Fame quarterback, that frankly doesn't want to run. So he's going to be throwing a lot. Um, you know, I think there's a chance there that there's some upside. Um, the other one is I was looking at Kelsey and he's 50 to one. And you know you can you can build the narrative, right? These awards are all about the narratives, and you can build the narrative where the Chiefs have another great offensive season, Mahomes has another great season. They don't have any sort of go-to number one wide receiver types, so Kelsey's going to be heavily involved again. And you can kind of see, you know, people starting to recognize like, wow, like Kelsey has been so instrumental to Mahomes' success during his career. And it, it would be like if he had a monster season at this age, it would be a really good way to kind of almost like a career recognition award. Offensive player of the year for Travis Kelsey. You can kind of see that narrative building under certain circumstances. So that's a great point. We do have, you know, that's the hardest part to quantify here is all these awards have a narrative layer in terms of, you know, media stories or uh, things that just are really hard for us to sit here and quantify based off of how we expect the season to play out. So, um, in a similar sense, I think towards the top of the board, I think Tyreek Hill makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, obviously, Jalen Waddle could impact his volume a little bit but man he was peppered so heavily last year when Tua was in there if Stu was Tua was able to stay healthy it could see another massive massive Tyreek season if we're going with the essentially quarterback that doesn't become MVP and you guys kind of laid it out a little bit last week I think we could be in for a massive Lamar Jackson season here 
Um, now I'm worried about the MVP piece because I think the defense is a, a little bit more of an issue than I think you guys think, but we could have a Lamar season where again, just the surrounding cast is built up way better than it's ever been. You know, he's wants to go out there and run and he's talking about over 6,000 yards, which is a, again, amazing narrative in the preseason. But I think we could have a, a pretty good uh, Lamar season. I just don't think again, for an MVP, you need to, to win the division. You need to be, uh, you know, essentially an outlier team performance as well. So I'm a little bit less bullish on the Ravens than you guys are. Further down the board, it sticks out just kind of looking to see Lamb is a, he's like 60 to one. That's way too far. I know that they're wanting to pivot and be more of a like run first team. I think some of the moves that they've done in the offseason to support the, you know, the quarterback there in Dak, I think bringing in Brandon Cooks. I think they've done some stuff to actually that's going to help CD Lamb. He's going to play a ton in the slot because you're going to have Cooks and Gallup on the outside. He's going to get absolutely fed. You could have a really big CD Lamb season and 60s just kind of off market to me in comparison. So those are some of the looks that I like. Yeah, those are solid. The Lamar one's interesting too. I mean, I think that we're both interested in getting as much derivative action on the Ravens as possible, especially the offense. So I think that's a good look. Yeah, so I think that'll be a discussion we have all offseason. But yeah, I mean, I think Lamar could be in for a must here. It's it's really that offensive line is fantastic. They're going to be able to run the ball. His supporting cast is significantly better than it's it's really ever been. So, uh, all right, we'll shift to defensive player of the year. So Ward has been really dominated by defensive linemen and edge rushers. They've won 10 of the past 12. Uh, you don't have to lead the league in sacks. Good sack numbers obviously go a long way. You got to be a part of one of the league's best defenses, though, is what we've seen to be in the mix here. Very rare to see a corner. Stephon Gilmore took home the prize just a few years ago. That recipe is really tough to replicate, though. Pats are the best defense in the league. He had some highlight pick sixes. I think he led the league in, like, pass defenses. Um he was also a long shot, and we don't see long shots either. We're typically seeing a winner here from the top of the board, Connor. I know you mentioned you don't like the top of the board, uh, but interested to see how you approach this one. Yeah, I have two that I kind of keyed in on here. As you mentioned, it has mostly been like kind of a uh, people who are, who are able to rush the passer here. I mean, we've seen multiple repeats before. Like, why not Nick Bosa again at eleven to one? I mean, just run it back. Like, I mean, he should. I guess makes sense that he's fourth in odds, but like we've. Like there's no voter fatigue like there is in some other sports and like other spots here. It seems like they're like, okay, well, it was there in Donald Ward. It was the J.J. Watt Award for a while. Like we've seen multiple repeats. I mean, each of those guys won three of them. So I don't think that's bad there at 11 to 1. Um, if you want to go way, way further down, Pat Sertan is like 50 or 60 to 1, I think. Uh, like you said, it's a pretty rare case. But that Denver defense was legit awesome before they like threw in the towel and they were getting like arguments on the sideline. And like he was a key part of that. So you know, like I don't think that Sauce Gardner should be fifteen to one or ten to one, and Sertan should be fifty to one. When I think that they're like pretty similar caliber, and uh, like both their defenses should be awesome. So, and if the Broncos take a step forward again, like you're you're talking about a potential here where you have that narrative of like he's the lockdown corner on the best defense or on one of the best defenses. So, again, fifty to one, it's a longer shot, but I thought it was an interesting look. Yeah, it's a great point. That's kind of that's that's the recipe, right? So they have to take a step forward, they become one of the league's best units, and he becomes a pivotal point to it. Uh, Clark, what's uh, jumping out to you on defensive player of the year? Yeah, when we talk about defenses, uh, you know, you've heard me bang this drum before, but defensive production metrics are so heavily skewed by what quarterbacks you face. So if I'm playing this market, I'm going to do some schedule analysis and try to identify which, you know, edge rushers or, or defensive linemen are more likely to face quarterbacks who are going to make mistakes and take a lot of sacks. 
Um, so, you know, unfortunately, TJ Watt and Miles Garrett come to mind because they both have a lot of rookie quarterbacks on their schedule. Um, but like you said, they're at the top of the top of the board. I really also like them both as players, especially TJ Watt. I think people forget how good he was before he got hurt. Um, so if he stays healthy, he's got a good shot to take it. Um, as far as a, a longer shot, um, Brian Burns at 30 to 1. Um, I think is is reasonable for some of the same reasons. He's got some of those, you know, easy schedule quirks. Um, he's also just an underrated player. And if the Panthers are going to do anything this year, I think it's going to be on defense. Um, and and he's proven that he can put up numbers. And, you know, a lot of people are going to want to tune into Panthers games to 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 see Bryce Young. And I think they might get a little side action of, of Brian Burns along the way. Like that quite a bit. Uh, for me, the top four all makes sense. Parsons, Garrett, TJ Watt, and Nick Bosa. I totally get it. Especially Parsons, there's talk that he's going to be used more in a traditional edge rusher role this year, whereas last year he was kind of playing a little bit more of that hybrid role. I'm sure they'll move him around still, but if he's able to dedicate that to you know, just getting at the quarterback a little bit more, that's fantastic. Um, what about another Bosa? We go all the way down the board. Joey's 50 to 1. This fits, again, Clark's narrative to the Chargers, if they stay healthy, uh, we can see massive stat line from Joey Bosa. Uh, that's, again, a big number relative to the rest of the fields. Again, the Chargers could have a good season. Um, I think that that's a big one. And then the other long shots, and this is going to be kind of going throughout for me this offseason, I want to kind of find ways to get access to really good Dolphins outcomes because I think they're going to be pretty interesting this year. Jalen Phillips is off market on DraftKings, 80 to 1. He's basically 50 everywhere else. You can see here on the screen. Uh, Jalen Phillips only, I think he had like nine and a half sacks last year. His like underlying metrics were significantly better in terms of like pressure rate and some of those things. Vic Fangio was in town in Miami to take care of that defense. They have massive talent upgrades basically at all three levels. So Jalen Phillips, again, former first round pick, kind of has the pedigree there too. I kind of want to find different ways to, to get access to the Dolphins doing good things. So Jalen Phillips at 80 would be the uh, the deep long shot sprinkle for me here. Can we talk about the Dolphins real quick? I, I'm kind of interested in them to win the division. I don't know. I was like, I was talking with Daigle last night about it. Um, I think we had talked about it previously on the show. I was digging into some Tua stuff and like going back. I got to go back and watch like the games. But I mean, they were, I know they played a super soft strength the schedule in those first eight games, but they were awesome. Like, I mean, that offense was insane. Uh, the defense was not all that great. They were fine, you know, but like that was with a not like basically a non-existent offensive line. Like, I don't know. I, I'm just excited. I think that they could be really good if Tua can keep his neck upright, you know, and like keep it, keep it locked. I have thoughts, but I don't want to table it because it's going to come up later in this show. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. All right. Love it. So I think Clark and I might be on the same, same page here with where we're going to go with that. Um, yeah, but I agree, Connor. I mean, there's, there's uh, a lot of different uh, – there's just better. The defense is going to be significantly better. I think the offensive line is better. It all comes down to Tua. But, yeah, I think the Dolphins are going to be they're going to be interesting. All right, offensive rookie of the year. Back-to-back uh, -back years of the wide receivers taking home the award two seasons prior. Quarterbacks, Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert. Two years before that, it was running backs with Alvin Kamara and Saquon Barkley. So really no positional leans. Kamara was also an outlier because he was the uh, non-first-round pick. He was a third-round pick. Uh, Dak Prescott, as a fourth-round pick, won the year before. It's only happened three times in the past 20 years. This is typically going to a first-round pick more times than not. doesn't have to be. We've seen outliers. So, uh, Clark, I'll let you get started here with uh, the offensive rookie of the year. I don't have strong opinions on on the rookie awards because I have such a bad feel for the rookies coming in since I don't watch any college football. Um, B. John Robinson seems like 
the obvious choice to me, but he's being priced that way. So when you like the favorite and it's a low price on the favorite, that kind of squeezes out the value from the other guys on the list, in my opinion. If I'm looking to play a quarterback, I would probably lean to CJ Stroud because I think the Texans are going to perform better than people expect. I think they've done a lot for their roster on both sides of the ball, especially the offensive line. I, I think CJ Stroud, from what I've heard, again, I don't watch college tape, is is somewhat pro-ready in terms of his play style. So I, I think there's a chance he could surprise to the upside and, and sneak in that award, uh, much more so than Anthony Richardson, who may not even start week one, probably shouldn't start week one. Um, and then Bryce Young, I'm, I'm not sold on the Panthers' offense. So I think if the Panthers succeed, it's going to be much more on the defensive side. Yeah, so I think you mentioned most of the of the most important trends. Like, has to be like generally is a first round pick. Um, and other than that, like if we look at the last thirteen years, quarterback won six times, running back four, uh, wide receiver won three times. So I guess the obvious one is Bijan. He's probably gonna have three hundred fifty touches if he stays healthy. Like, I mean, he's gonna get fed in an offense that uh, I think should be okay. Uh, so it's like really tough to fade. But that's kind of where I went like really really far down the board. Uh, Jonathan Mingo, 75 to one is just like an outrageous mispricing. I mean, he should be like 30 to one. He's so he's fifth in odds and most receiving yards rookie wise, but he's behind like these bums, like Josh Downs and Cedric Tillman. And like, you know, Tank Josh Dixie. Downs is going to be good, man. Josh Downs is going to be good. Bum. Rasheed Rice, bum. I mean, these guys are like, oh, man, these guys are my... all bums. And, <laughs> and now you're getting 75 to one and a guy who's going to be number one target for Bryce Young. Like, I mean, this is, this is, uh, I don't know. 75 to one is, is, is egregious to me. So I don't, it's like, doesn't even add up with their odds. He's fifth in the FanDuel odds, most receiving rookie receiving yards. And he's like behind all these other guys in this. So I don't know. I thought that, that was a fun one. All right. I like, it. I don't care for the disparaging remarks about the other guys there. I think Josh Downs is going to be actually really exciting. Uh, young player I, at the top of the board, you know where I'm going. I already bet it. It's one of the only ones I bet did not play it officially, but I'm, I'm give me all the Anthony Richardson love. Uh, if he plays day one, I think he's going to be fun and exciting to watch. Again, it could be painful at times, but uh, nine to one on Anthony Richardson. I'm going to go down the board to Connor's uh, disrespected Rasheed Rice a little bit too. Rasheed Rice is a massive target hog at SMU um, and is going to play with Patrick Mahomes in a wide receiver room that has a lot of question marks, right? We're dealing with Kadarius Tony, Sky Moore. Um, MVS, like there's a lot outside of Travis Kelsey that is up for grabs for Rasheed Rice to kind of come come in and make a mark. And kind of one of his calling cards coming in was people thought he was more NFL ready than a lot of the other guys at the top of the board. He might not be the athletic specimen that some of those guys are, but 66 to one, catching balls from Patrick Mahomes. I think Rasheed Rice makes some sense. And the other one is Rashawn Johnson, who I think has a real path to being the Bears every down back in a sense, you know, and again, like that's an overused term in the NFL nowadays. It just aren't those type of guys, but um, I think he can carve out a role in passing downs. I think he's the better, um, you know, early down options as well. So again, that's going to be a great offensive line. They were fifth in run block win rate last year. Now they've added in the off season with Nate Davis, um, you know, Darnell, Wright. I think the bears are going to be a pretty fun running team. And there's really no path to anyone else really kind of grabbing that job. So 45 to one on Rashawn Johnson, I think is an interesting sprinkle as well. So uh, yeah, Josh Downs isn't in the mix, but Josh Downs is going to be fun, man. I'm telling you. All right. All right Rasheed Rice, 66 to one, I think is fair. I mean, he's like, I, that's like way off. Like every, the rest of the market is like not even close to that. Yeah. Yeah. He's 22 on Caesars. So 
Yeah. Again, Patty Mahomes is uh, is really the play there. It's essentially it's, getting. And we got the the Indianapolis track team that they're building down there. Uh, I mean, guys are just gonna be burners. You know, it's it's a shame that they can't actually play football though. We'll see though. The the other thing with Rice is you know fingers crossed as a Chiefs fan like Travis Kelsey's getting up there. There's no guarantee he's gonna play the whole season again. And if they play games without Travis Kelsey, then you know, Patrick Mahomes isn't going to turn into a 200 yard passer per game, right? Like someone's going to be catching those yards. Uh, and if Rasheed Rice hits his upside that, yeah, I, I like that. Yep. I like it. All right. Uh, defensive rookie of the year. award has been skewed of late towards Ed rushers. That's more recent though. Um, we've seen here a trend that I do think is, is fairly notable. 15 of the past 16 winners were first round selections. Darius Leonard is the outlier, the lone exception there. He's also the only linebacker, to win the award in the past decade as well. Uh, Clark, talk to me about defensive rookie of the year. I got nothing on this. I know even less about these guys than the offensive <laughs> guys. Um, I'll tell you what I do f- with, with this, with these odds, is one question that I have to face when I'm you know power ranking my teams to start the season is how what impact are these rookies going to have in their first year? So it's, it's a different question than you know, was it a good draft pick? It's like, what is the expectation of their impact this year? So I use these this odds table basically to project the impact the rookies are going to have. And I remember um, the year Micah Parsons was drafted. I had no idea who the guy was, but he was like, you know, clear front runner for for this award before the season started. So I bumped up my Cowboys defensive rating because I was like, oh, this guy is apparently going to do something real good. And then he from day one was an absolute game wrecker. So that's kind of my approach for this: is is I reverse engineer quality of impact in, in rookie season based on these odds. I don't bet it. <laughs> Interesting. I like that though. Uh, Connor, anything jump out? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the main trend is like uh first round pick. Other than that, the other main trends that I kind of noticed, especially lately has been that they have to be playing a lot and they have to be on a generally on a team that ends up with a good defense on the year. So again, sounds obvious, but like there's a couple here that I think stand out that you're probably not going to see that. Uh, and so if we look at the board here, I thought Jalen Carter seven to one, if you want to look at the top, there is really interesting. Obviously, I think the Eagles should be pretty good defensively uh, and he should play a big role there. Uh, if we go further down the board, Will McDonald 25 to one, I thought it was like a pretty egregious reach in terms of like actual draft capital with the jets, but like their defense is going to be really good. And if he's going to play a lot, then, you know, 25 to one, I think is fine. And another one that I was looking at Nolan Smith as well, 22 to one, uh, I guess a little bit less. I mean, I don't know. I guess it could be as impactful with, with the Eagles losing a bunch of linebackers as well. Like, I don't really know what Nolan Smith's role technically will be on the Eagles. Um, but I think that if he's playing a lot, again, on a good defense, 22 to 1 isn't bad if he has like a breakout season because people, the measurables were great. He shot up draft boards kind of late and then had like a little bit of a fall, I think, with some some medical stuff uh, during the draft. So, I don't know. Those are the ones that stood out to me. My favorite is also uh, Will McDonald's at price. Um, Jets defense was good last year. I think they could be better. And if he's going to be mixing in and getting uh, passing snaps, there's a path to, you know, being on a great defense that goes to the playoffs and you put up nine, 10 sacks. I think that that's way more likely than like, again, I think the Will Anderson Jr. number is like egregious. This should be, they should be way closer. Like it's again, horrible. I, just, I mean, like Will Anderson yeah. has to come in and have like 12 sacks to win this award. I mean, I don't, I don't even know if he's like going to change their defense that much. Yeah, no, I agree. Miles Murphy kind of, Fits the same bill in Cincinnati. If he's going to be, you know, they take a step forward. He mixes in a little bit, gets some sacks. Going down the board a little bit. Uh, if I go to sixty to one with uh, Diane Hemley, who I think is going to get a pretty good amount of linebacker snaps for the Chargers. Again, going with the Chargers, 
There's solid defensive narratives. If he's starting, if he's getting like, you know, three down snaps, he's a great athlete. He's one of my favorite linebacker prospects. Again, I watched a lot of linebackers coming into this draft because I'm going to end up betting these guys to accumulate a bunch of tackles this season, hopefully. So I want to know any rookies that are coming in. Uh, Jack Campbell obviously makes a lot of sense too. He's probably going to get a lot of snaps, but he's, I think, like 18 to 20 most spots. Henley is a lot more interesting at 60. Pair next to Eric Kendricks coming over from Minnesota in a Chargers defense that I think if they stay healthy could be really exciting to watch. So Henley would be my long shot here if I weren't going with uh, Will McDonald or, or Miles Murphy. Henley would buck the trend, though, of the first-round pick. And the the other three since 2000 to not be first-round picks were all second-round picks. So I think he was a third-round pick, if I remember correctly. Um, so that would buck the trend, but I, I think that your points are valid. And, you're I mean, you're not paying, like, a price for it. It's obviously 60 to 1. So Yeah, for sure. And, again, the outlier came at the same position with uh, Darius Leonard, right? That Colts defense took a step up. He was one of the lead leaders in tackles. And uh, it's sometimes no one else really emerges. And, Sometimes it can be that simple. All right. Comeback player of the year. Um, we were talking a little bit pre-show. Of all, my, of all the awards, this is by far my least favorite because I have no idea what constitutes a comeback or not. Uh, it is very vague. It is very narrative-driven. Um, but this year, it's really not up for a debate. The betting market really reflects that. If and when DeMar Hamlin plays a snap, he locks up the award. He is like minus 600. Uh, I do not know what Russell Wilson and Mac Jones are coming back from, uh, but they are near the top of the board outside of him. And that kind of uh, indicates really what this award is all about. Uh, anyone want to poke holes in, in, uh, in Hamlin this year? No, I got nothing. We don't have to spend much time on this. Honestly, it's, it's the DeMar Hamlin word this year. Yep. Play football, win the award, get it, get it DeMar. Yeah. I, I think John Michi is interesting again, 30 to one. He's Clark made a good point. I don't know what he's coming back from either. Again, cancer. Yes. Um, but like he didn't play last year. So he didn't necessarily, he's not returning, but you know, again, that would be the only one that would make even uh, a comparison. He should, he should definitely have the second shortest odds on the board. I, I comparison to, you know, Trey Lance, Russell Wilson, uh, at least those like Trey Lance was hurt. At least two like had concussions. Like Russell Wilson just sucked. Uh, I don't know what he's coming back from, but yeah, he's second on the board. Interesting. All right. Coach back in subway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Coach of the Year, as we saw last year, this award is more about exceeding expectations than anything else. We also saw, again, some viable options, some bettable numbers in season. Uh, myself and a lot of our subscribers were able to get Brian Dayball, like week 15, week 14 at 25 to 1. You know, that was a heartbreaker for Connor. Who Fuck had a award. This is some bullshit. <laughs> I'm still mad. Still so mad. Connor had a really good price uh, preseason on Nick Sirianni, good closing line value. Again, the argument there on why we played Dayball is that, you know, Sirianni and the Eagles closed as division favorites. So, yes, uh, there was some expectation that they were going to be good, maybe not as good as they were. But, you know, Dayball was really piecing it together with, uh, with I don't know, it was MacGyver style with that that roster. Uh, but, uh, Connor, I'll kick it deep. Any thoughts early here on uh, Coach of the Year? Yeah, the fucking Bears injured Jalen Hurts gets, you know, I mean, Nick Sirianni was like minus 400 before Jalen got Hurts got hurt. And maybe he shouldn't have been minus 400, but still it's, I mean, they were going to win like 16 games, you know, like if they had won that, I think he still probably would have won. But either way, uh, looking at the trends there. So Brian Dable bucked the trend the last 20 years. Every single coach to win this award has won 10 or more games, except for Brian Dable. So it's generally been an award where you have to, 
win a lot of games and exceed expectations. Brian Dable just exceeded expectations so, so much that it kind of trumped that. And, and they made the playoffs. They and made the playoffs. playoffs. Yeah. And they made the playoffs. And they won a playoff game. You know, it's like, they. I mean, what he did with that roster was truly spectacular. There's absolutely no denying that. Uh, I just didn't think that they won enough to for him to qualify. And he did. So I think looking at the current board, though, the way that we played or I played it last year was like with all of our other Eagles futures and like derivatives, it's like getting more exposure to like the kind of these like middle tier teams that we think could take that next step forward. And so for me, three that stood out to me, uh, Mike McDaniel, 20 to one, uh, Brandon Staley, 20 to one, and then Harbaugh, 25 to one. So those are the three teams that are kind of in that like middling win total range. But if they win their division, if they take that next step forward, like I think that these coach of the years are all very live. The only one who might not have a chance is because like is Harbaugh because he has like kind of been around for a while and like 10 like coaches who have already won or been good before tend to not get kind of the same recognition. But I mean, Shanahan was still in the ward last year a little bit as well. And like, he's been around for a little bit. So I think that again, like the Ravens win, like the win the division, I think he's squarely in play. This is it for me, Clark. I don't know about you. This is what I was talking about. We can get three to one on the Dolphins to win the division, or we can get 20, 22 to one on Mike McDaniel to win coach of the year. And I think that that's a great way to play that instead of doing the Dolphins to win the division. Yeah. I mean, COTY coach of the year might as well be called crapshoot of the year. And you can see that in the way the odds are. There's like every coach is listed and every coach is between like 20 to one and 40 to one. It's like, you know, who knows? Um, but there, like you said, there, this is a very narrative award. So when you build out your narrative, it's a fun way to play, you know, at a high odds. I like the Mike McDaniel pick. I think, I think that people like him, like people, it matters. Your perception as a coach matters. Nick Sirianni is kind of a dick and Brian Dayball was very, very popular. And I'm not saying that that's why he won, but like when these guys are making these votes and there's a lot of things to consider, it's like, oh yeah, like Dayball, man, that guy's awesome. And Sirianni's just yeah, like I, not necessarily someone you really want to root for. Um, so Mike McDaniel is a very popular dude. Dolphins, if they exceed expectations, it's going to be, you know, wow, look what Mike McDaniel did. And I think the impact that Vic Fangio will have in that defense, Mike McDaniel will get some, you know, ancillary credit for that. Um, if Tua plays well and stays healthy, like obviously the offense is, you know, he gets credit for that. People don't want to give Tua credit and, in my opinion, justified uh, because Mike McDaniel is the one orchestrating this offense. So, so he's a, he's a very good pick in my opinion. The other guys I'd be looking at are Brandon Staley for the same reason that I talked about with the chargers last week. Um, if they, if they win the division, you know, like he's a candidate, obviously um, Arthur Smith. Um, I'm waiting for the, for this one. I'm going to go even further. I'm waiting for the, um, you know, most wins market to open up and I'm going to bet the Falcons at like whatever crazy number they give me. Um, not because I think the Falcons are the best team in the NFC, but because their schedule sucks. So if if Des like there's you know Desmond Ritter is a range of outcomes right now that is rather wide. We have no idea who Desmond Ritter is. Um, we we have some idea, but but the you know a lot of players take a massive leap forward in year two if they've got good fundamentals, which he does. So if he's really good, the offensive line's good, the skill players are good, the defense added a bunch of pieces against a really bad schedule. Like they could look like last year's Eagles theoretically. So Arthur Smith is another way to play that one if, if you think that's going to happen. And then Matt LaFleur is the last one. Um, if you believe in Jordan Love, which I don't, but if you believe in Jordan Love, I think the Packers like have the other pieces in place and a division that's very winnable. Um, both the Lions and the Vikings have a brutal three game. Like we talked earlier about the three random opponents that each team has. Vikings and Lions both have brutal three game stretches where the Packers is much softer. Uh, so is the Bears. 
So I think if you believe that, that Jordan Love can, can take a step forward after all these years of training under a very good quarterback, we see this pattern a lot, then I think Matt LaFleur could be someone who gets credit for that, especially if they do a good job on offense. Yeah, I like that quite a bit. Um, it'll be interesting to get into the Jordan Love stuff because I think he was, had some good end-of-the-season stuff. It'll be interesting to see, but I think you make a great point there. Uh, that's not a bad look whatsoever. But, yeah, it's right now they're all too bunched up to where they are. I'm no interest in firing at the top of the board until, like, you know, Dan Campbell couldn't do it last year, and now the expectations are significantly higher. Like, that's that's not a bet that's uh, of any interest to me. And I do think it matters that you're that you're liked – Look, I mean, like Belichick has not been a uh, very easy guy to interview over the course of the year, uh, or you know, course of his career, and he's got like two or three coach of the years. And I, you know, you have to make the case that there has been numerous seasons where he would have been a viable candidate, but like he's just not—he's prickly. He's not very likable and doesn't give the media a lot to you know to kind of you know dig their teeth into. And so it's very easy to check a different box. So that's—I think it's a really good, really good point. You so, know who else isn't going to win the award? Jonathan Gannon. I mean, outside of uh, the, the cards being garbage, I mean, everyone fucking hates that guy, man. Like, didn't go to, didn't go to the media at all for a couple of days. Like, he'll never win that award in his entire life. Yeah, it's not a great start. But uh, a little tampering action, we'll see. It should be a rough year in, uh, in Arizona. But, hey, they're going to be set up for next year's draft. They're going to have probably two top five picks and uh, some decisions to make at the quarterback position. We'll shift to the last one. The final award is the MVP award. Um, Ten straight years. This is a quarterback award. Uh, as we mentioned, there's some overlap with offensive player of the year formula, pretty straightforward. You got to play great and your team has to win about 11 to 12 games at least for a non-quarterback to win it and break this trend. You basically need all the quarterbacks at the top of the board to kind of be just, just, just okay. And then you basically have to break records. You know, you have to have, uh, you know, 2000 plus yard seasons, insane amount of touchdowns. It's basically a quarterback award. And when you look at the betting odds, you basically have to, it's like 29 guys before you get to anyone else. Sam Howell is shorter on the odds board than Justin Jefferson. It's just, it's insane. Uh, this is a quarterback award uh, and it makes sense. It's the most important position in the sport, Connor. Uh, any thoughts about MVP? Yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head there. Just don't bet another position to an MVP. Like it, it not only requires them breaking records, but they have to, their team has to win like a lot of games, like that's what Adrian Peterson did when he won the MVP and they have to make the playoffs. So like Justin Jefferson nearly broke the record. They still made the playoffs. They were one of the best teams in the league and he did not get a single first place vote for MVP. So uh, just don't waste your money. Uh, in terms of overall, other than that though, like you said, they have to win 11 games uh, or more generally. So if we're looking at teams that I think could be interesting, one that I don't think you guys are going to like, but I think it's kind of interesting given the odds. Deshaun Watson, 40 to one, uh, the Browns, I think have decent surroundings, you know, like we saw a six game sample. He wasn't very good. I'm not gonna say that he was, but we've seen him be spectacular. It is put certain points in his career and now he has legit weapons. He's a, you know, a little bit more time. Like if, I don't think that he should be lower than Justin Fields. Like to me, that's outrageous. Like, I, I think that's crazy. Um, I mean, we've actually seen him play good football. Like we've seen Justin Fields play good as a runner. He's never been a good passer so far in the league. So I just think that that's crazy. They 40 to one is, is a pretty solid look on Deshaun, even though I don't think that like the media projection for the Browns is like something I'm interested in. I think that range of outcomes there. I think there's a scenario where he wins MVP. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. It's a narrative award too, right? To a degree in comparison, because he's going to be up against a couple of the guys, the position people aren't going to want to reward him. 
for anything, right? He's going to have to be so much better than everyone else. Uh, the Browns are going to have to do all the things that you said, but he also has to like, you know, Mahomes probably can't win the division. I just think that he's, people are going to be reluctant to give him the MVP award yeah. considering all that's happened. So I don't I disagree. It. I don't disagree with your points though. He, he's, he should be shorter than, than fields in my opinion. He's uh, I mean, I don't know. People seem to forget uh, basically everything that has gone wrong in the NFL. Otherwise to date, I know that he's made a big spectacle, like a spectacle of everything. Um, I mean, they, a team is willing to sign him to a fully guaranteed $250 million contract. Uh, I mean, the media I know is a little bit more liberal uh, in some of these ways than in obviously a little bit more scrutiny and they're the ones who vote on this. So maybe you're right in the sense that they never would. Like, I'm sure some people would just be like, I'm never voting for this guy, no matter what. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, it's been, been a little bit of time here and, you know, by the end of next season, Things seem to get swept under the rug historically in the NFL pretty quickly. I, I'm going to disagree on it. I'm just about every point. One, Deshaun Watson has never been spectacular. What? Um, even He's been even great. when he was, even when he was putting up good stats, it was very you know fluky, shaky, and consistent. It wasn't really when it mattered. Like when he had a bad team, he won four games, and when he had a good team. He was a, you know, pretty much an automatic wild card loss, maybe, maybe a wild card win. They, they were never a threat to do anything. And now the AFC is flooded with quarterbacks who are just simply better than he ever was. Um, so that's one thing. Two, uh, you know, spicy. I like that. And you can say right or wrong on the whole media's obsession with Deshaun Watson, but the but the fact is, it it, it really does matter. Like maybe it's not, it's, maybe it's not, you know, the right weight or whatever. But like, there's no way the media, there's no way these voters are going to give Deshaun Watson the award. Like the image that that puts on the NFL, like even a year <laughs> from now, it's it's not going anywhere. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I'm not on that one. Oh man, I I don't know. I I like if we look back at his time with the Texans, like he never had an offensive line. He was getting wrecked. It was basically just him running around bombing to Fuller and Hopkins. Like he was, it was not good. He never had an offensive line because he didn't know how to throw within rhythm. Oh. You're harsh. You're harsh. Deshaun, I'm, I can't root for this guy. I mean, honestly, I just can't even root for this guy. So I, I was going to say he's going to prove you wrong, but I don't even want him to at this point just because I feel bad. It's, it doesn't feel good. All right, I'm scratching this bad. Honestly, I don't want it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scratching it. I don't want it. I don't want it. <laughs> I think he's good, but like, I, I just can't do it anymore. Yeah, you find yourself being like, is that even something I want to root for? Yeah, like, do I really want to like have my flag plant be Deshaun Watson? Right, right. <laughs> Absolutely not. All right, I'm done. I'm done. Off the soapbox. <laughs> we'll circle back. If somehow he does have a good season, I'll be like, yeah, I kind of told you, but uh, that's yeah, about yeah, all I'm yeah. going to take. <laughs> I will ex- I'll bring it up myself. I will say, hey, I was wrong. Connor was right. Was there a breaking point in terms of number of hand jobs that did it for you? <laughs> Or was it just like, you know. oh man? I mean, I don't know. He's kind of a scumbag. I mean, definitely a scumbag. Not not kind of a scumbag. Uh, You're no right though. The point. NFL is littered with them, and you know we do have short memories. I think well, we didn't mention anything about Tyree Kill. What he did was way fucking worse. I don't disagree necessarily. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't disagree. So, yeah, we do forget stuff. He like there was such little like just remorse from Watson through this entire process. And I think that's part of it. And he's just kind of doubled down um, and he kind of fought this a little bit. And I think that's, has not helped his, uh, his image too. So again, you can make the case that the path to doing the first part that's required narratives aside is going to be a challenge for the Browns as well. Again, I think they're going to be better without a doubt. Um, The path with Baltimore and Cincinnati is tough. Pittsburgh just kind of rolls out of bed and wins eight, nine games. I think they had a terrific draft and a nice off season. So it's going to be a very difficult division. That part in itself is going to be 
is going to be difficult. So yeah, top of the board. I mean, to be honest, like this is one of those spots where like, what is Pat Mahomes? What if he has a good September? Like he's what three to one. So like firing at Mahomes at seven again, like Clark did last year, probably not bad uh, in terms of all the things we've talked about today. Um, I can get behind that again, knowing that there's not really outside of a Travis Kelsey, a clear difference maker. Their defense is, I think, better. Like they're going to be in the mix again. Uh, Mahomes at seven makes a ton of sense. And yeah, you can get into voter fatigue, but like we've seen Brady win a bunch. We've seen Aaron Rodgers win a bunch. Like there's precedent here for, you know, multiple winners and repeat winners. So yeah, I think that, you know, getting behind that makes, uh, makes a lot of sense, even at the current price. I, I agree. I think Mahomes is playable at seven to one. I'm not going to play it uh, this early. You know, hopefully it'll stick around. But Mahomes is a step above all the other guys. Like, like if you if you tell me it's between Mahomes and then that other group, you know, for me in my mind, it's, it's close to 50-50. Like, I don't know which one of the group is going to emerge as the challenger. Last year it was Jalen Hurts. You know, maybe it'll be Josh Allen. Maybe it'll be Joe Burrow. But like Patrick Mahomes is is the clear best player and should be priced separately from the other group that he's with. And he's currently not. So so I do think there's value there. Um, and then I think in the next tier, I like Justin Herbert. Uh, I think it says 15 to one um, because he he is, you know, an elite quarterback in my opinion. And I've been talking about the Chargers a lot, but he's the kind of player where if the Chargers win, it's because of Herbert. You know, he, he gets the same level of credit as Josh Allen when the Bills succeed as Joe Burrow when the Bengals succeed. Um, there's also a chance that Trevor Lawrence could step up into that tier. Um, I, I, at, the, at roughly the same price, I prefer Herbert. Um, and then if you're going long shot, uh, you got you to gotta scroll down. Uh, this may not come as a shock to you, but I think Desmond Ritter is like 100, 150 to 1. Um, you know, <laughs> there it is. MJ's got it. Um, you know, again, th- we're playing long tails here. So, you know, 150 to 1 it prices it at, you know, less than 1% chance of happening. Um, it, I wouldn't put real money on it. You know, I did this with Trevor Lawrence last year at 100 to 1, put 10 bucks on it just for fun. And, you know, he was never really going to win that award, but it felt like the right horse to back. Um, so if you're going long shot, I think uh, Ritter fits the profile for unknown upside, really, really good situation. Coach that is building the offense to, to, de- to be designed around the quarterback's strengths. Like he knows what Ritter does well. And last year in those four games we did see, every play was designed to Ritter's strengths. And I think they're going to lean into that even more starting from day one. Um, and, and an easy schedule is the last component. So yeah, R- Ritter would be my, you know, throw 10 bucks at it and, and you know, forget you ever bet it kind of bet. Yep. Don't hate that at all. I think you can go Tua again if you wanted to kind of play the Dolphins angle that we've played. Uh, it looks like 22 is the best number on Tua. Again, they have to win that division. I feel like the winner of that division, the quarterback is probably very much in the mix uh, MVP-wise to compete with Mahomes or same thing with like Burrow and Lamar. Whoever kind of wins that division, I think probably is the, a leg up in terms of the overall MVP prices as we get closer to December. So I think Mahomes makes a ton of sense here and I don't think you need to to complicate it. Yeah, um, you know, Sam Darnold, Brock Purdy, if you want to go way down the board, it's, you know, this is a team's got 11 and a half win to, uh, total out there. We have no idea who's starting a quarterback. Like if Purdy's not back, and Sam Darnold plays well to start the entire year or plays well, like he could keep that job for the entire year. And all of a sudden Sam Darnold is, you know, leading a 13 and four 49ers team, uh, which is just wild. And the pedigrees there as an offense is going to be nice. Like I think it's going to be very interesting of who starts the season there. Uh, I think they're going to be set up to, to play pretty well. So again, I'm not betting Sam Darnold, but I think he fits 
the Desmond Ritter uh, piece that, that Clark is talking about in terms of, you know, being a part of a nice offense that could really set himself up to perform pretty well. So I feel like Donald's like the definition of like the LCLV, like the losing closing the value. Like if sure. all that plays out, like he'll probably close like 15 to one, 20 to one or whatever. And you'll be like, Oh yeah. Got that, you know, 80 cents of closing line value, you know, right in my mortgage with that. Yeah. You play it on FanDuel, you can get the cash out option. That's true. I, that stuff's always so like iffy for me though. Like sometimes it lets you cash stuff out. Sometimes it doesn't. Depends on the books. Like timing is all random too. So I feel like if I could reliably get that, like, I mean, you could start like a legitimate like stock portfolio with these people, but like, I mean, there's probably a reason that it's unreliable because those people would just do that. So yeah, FanDuel's yeah. pretty good with that in terms of cash out options. I think narrative wise, the difference between Sam Darnold and Desmond Ritter is that if Sam Darnold succeeds, it's like, oh, well, of course he did. Kyle Shanahan's a genius and every quarterback that ever played for the 49ers has succeeded. Whereas if the Falcons have a really good offense this year, it's not like they're coming, you know, they've been bad on offense for several years now. So it'd be kind of like, well, what's the difference now? They have Desmond Ritter, right? You know? Yeah. No, that's <laughs> a good point. John. Yeah. Different pedigree, right? We have, uh, you know, a, a third round pick at quarterback versus the third overall pick at quarterback or whatever uh, the Darnold was. So yeah, that's a good point for sure. It's gonna be I'm good. not going to lie to you. I, I think that you, the angle on Tua and the Dolphins is probably better on the coach of the year standpoint than the Tua standpoint, because I think that there's still probably going to be some narrative that like Tyreek and, you know, Waddle and like McDaniel and like the addition of Jalen Ramsey will kind of like bolster the team more so than just being Tua. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think, I, I mean, you're sacrificing what, like, I mean, two cents basically, or like plus 200 on the difference between, uh, yeah, MVP and coach of the year. So I think I would probably rather go that angle, but I don't know. No, it's a good point. I agree. I, I, I really do. I think there's so much supporting cast there for Tua to, to kind of be why he succeeds. So yeah, I think I'd probably rather go McDaniel or offensive player of the year to, to Tyreek, just basically all the same price, you know, 2022s. Yeah. I'm also like, I'm high on the Dolphins defense. And I think that's going to be an underrated part of whatever, you know, narrative you build here. And I also like Mike White. So if, if Tua misses some games like he has every year so far and Mike White wins those interim games because he's in such a good situation offensively and the defense plays well, that that's the kind of stuff that is like, wow, look at Mike McDaniel. Like he not, he don't, didn't only just win with Tua. Like he won when Tua was out like that. Just like if, if the Eagles had won with Gardner Minshew last year in those games that Hurts missed, I think Sirianni wins coach of the year. Yep. Oh, that's a good point. The defense is going to be good. I'm excited to, to talk about it with you guys. So, all right. Good stuff as always. Uh, that does this for the award show. Reminder, subscribe wherever you're listening. YouTube, thumbs up. Uh, make sure you hit the subscribe button. You'll get lots of other unique content that we have here on the 4 for 4 Bets YouTube page. We have a 4 for 4 football page as well. If you do want to get into more of the fantasy stuff, Daigle is uh, over there grinding best ball tiers and redraft league and all sorts of stuff over there. Also, again, in podcast form as well so good stuff as always we'll be here uh, next week to talk about more ways to bet on the nfl so for connor and clark i'm ryan we'll see you all next week thanks everyone